Staying in Contact. I'm London Mitchell. Each week, we spend a few minutes together to discuss the efforts of individuals and organizations working to improve the quality of life in Northwest Ohio. Often, we chat with local authors who give a glimpse of our past so we can gain a better understanding of where we have been in hopes of using that knowledge to better our future. In this installment, we chat with Barbara Floyd about her new book on the history of my alma mater, the University of Toledo. The book is an in-depth look at UT from the time when it was only a dream ready to happen to its present-day status and some thoughts about the future. Barbara was the longtime archivist at UT, but the book is not just a collection of historical fact. I found the book parallels the history of our area. Absolutely. I think um, a lot of people in Toledo today forget that for 83, its first 83 years, um, the University of Toledo was owned and operated and funded exclusively by the taxpayers of the city of Toledo. So the city of Toledo shaped the university in so many significant ways. And I think even after it became a state institution in 1967, while that relationship changed somewhat, I mean, I don't think that we, the community feels perhaps as close a, a connection to the institution as it did when it was, when it was his university, you know, it's, it's university funded by it. I think that there's no doubt that the influence of the university on the city is fundamental. I mean, all you need to do, and this is something that that I sort of crazily do, is I, I'm in a habit of reading the obituaries in the in the local newspaper every day, and and it astounds me how many of those individual lists that they have a had a degree from the University of Toledo. It is just. Um, you know, that alone has impacted our growth, our our economy, um, our stability, um, who we are. And um, imagine what the city of Toledo would be like without the university. I think it would be much, much different. And, um, and I, I'm so proud that I was able to tell that story of um, the city and the institution and their intertwined histories. I have often said that uh, the University of Toledo is kind of the uh, the heart of the city, really, because so many uh, of us did graduate from high school in Toledo, went to the University of Toledo, and found employment in the uh, in Toledo. Absolutely. And it's not just the, the story of of, 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 the, of the success. It's also the story of most of us, including myself, were a first generation college student. And it ha had it not been for the University of Toledo, would we have had that opportunity to pursue a college education? And just, I mean, I know the impact it had on your life. I know the impact it had on my life. I know the impact it had on my sister's life. I know the impact it had on friends. I mean, it 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 changed everything about us and what we were able then 
to contribute back to the city. Um, and all of that would not have been possible had it not been for this dream of Jessup W. Scott um, 151 years ago uh, to to create this institution. You know, one of the things that uh, I've looked at in your book, and I, I, I have to confess, I haven't read it all, but I've read a lot of it and, and find it incredibly uh, memorable. I remember the... Uh, the uh, Nashville residence area for married students. I remember those uh, surplus military buildings that were built mm-hmm. to, to house classes long gone. But right. I, I remember uh, taking classes in those buildings and kind of wondering, is this going to stand up in a strong wind? <laughs> right, right. Well, fortunately, um, I never had a class in those buildings, but they were still there when I started back in 1976. And when they were first brought to the university in 1946, they were supposed to last a matter of years, you know, just to sort of tie the uni- university over until they could build uh, adequate classrooms and new, and new facilities. And it was until 1979 that the last of them were finally uh, turned torn down. And people find that hard to believe. They look at that beautiful Centennial Mall now um, in the area between the back University Hall and the Student Union and Health Sciences Campus and that sort of beautiful quadrangle there. And they and they look at those pictures as like, what, what, what on earth? And so I think that's it shows just um, kind of, you know, how sort of paycheck to paycheck the university was surviving at that time as a as a as a city supported institutions institution that was the best it could do it could buy some surplus housing or surplus barracks from uh the uh, camp perry haul them to campus stick them up there and and hold classrooms uh hold classes in it so um you know i uh, and there were all kinds of fights over the years between presidents and boards about when are we going to get rid of those things? And the boards would always say, we want to get rid of those things. And the presidents would say, well, what are you going to replace them with? And and that was always the crux of the issue. So um, it wasn't until 1979 that we finally had the space and the funding um, and a purpose, a reason to tear those things down, which was to beautify the campus. And there's no doubt in my mind that that Centennial Mall versus those temporary army barracks changed the entire environment of the university. I'm London Mitchell. My guest this week is Barbara Floyd, the author of a new book on the history of the University of Toledo. A criticism you might receive is that you really got into the weeds in mm-hmm. in some of this book, but I don't know how you could not get into the weeds and still tell the story behind the story. Right, and I think from and I think the book is kind of unusual as a, an anniversary history because a lot of universities will publish universe, uh, anniversary histories, but they tend to be you know pretty picture books or sort of um, nice um, promotional pieces. And those are great to look at for 10 minutes and put on the sh- on your coffee table and, and forget about. I really wanted to use my knowledge of the university's history and the primary sources um, that I collected as university archivist for 31 years to present 
a real honest and complete history of the university that would not just be useful as a moment, a capture in a moment of time at the 150th, but something that maybe could be instructive to the current leadership um, and leadership in the future about here's what we did right, here's what we did wrong, here's what we might want to build on, here's what we should forget, you know, and move on from. And I think that was my goal. And one of the hardest things I found to do was because I was a student at the university as an undergraduate, I have two graduate degrees from the university. I was a faculty member for 31 years. I was involved in a lot of issues. I was a faculty leader. Writing the parts of the book where I was a part of that history was so difficult for me because I had to back away. I had to make sure that I wasn't, you know, sort of stating my case and that it really was based upon a fair examination of the sources and an understanding of the context. And it wasn't just kind of reliving my my grievances or my glories. And um, so wherever that happened, wherever I was a part of the of the story, I always put a footnote in the book and said, you know, the author was involved as chair of the faculty senate in this issue, but has attempted to, you know, present a an unvarnished and fair uh, view of this issue. Of this issue, but it's tough. It's tough to evaluate an institution where you have been so much a part of it. And I hope that I, I a book will serve um, to instruct. Yes, there's a lot of back and forth politics um, and, you know, budget issues and faculty grievances and student grievances. But, you know, that's that whole stuff together, all of those issues together really weaves into the story of what the institution is today and what it could be tomorrow. And I really think that we are kind of at a very important inflection point in the institution's history because, you know, we're looking at a university which has lost continuously enrollment after year after year after year. We were once up to 24,000 students. We're now about 15. You know, our, our budget situation is not good because once you start enrollment declines and you have to cut programs and cutting programs leads to more enrollment declines leads to, you know, questions about what you're doing with a lack of lack, less and less state support. And so it becomes a really hard hole to dig yourself out of. So, you know, I hope that this book can, in some small way, looking at the past, help to guide, in, you know, what we're doing the next 10 years, because, man, I would not want to be in the president's shoes right now because it's going to take a lot of talent and a lot of luck and a whole lot of work to to you know bring this institution back to a place where it has um, stability and also potential future growth and everybody wants new programs everybody wants has new ideas of things that you should be doing differently or better but if you don't have any students and you don't have any money, and you can't hire any faculty to teach in those new areas, 
um, what do you do? And if and if you and you've got programs that aren't that aren't attracting students, and all of the faculty are tenured, well, what do you do? Um, and so it becomes a you know downsizing of any institution is difficult, but downsizing an institution of higher learning when you have tenured faculty and um, students who you know have are halfway through academic degrees and you know don't want to see their programs done away with and a strong alumni base and a strong community um, voice, it's really, really tough. So much of the uh, story about post-secondary education has been, you don't need a college degree. Go out to a trade school. Uh, the uh, the trades are hurting for people. You can make a lot more money. Mm-hmm. I think the universities have been taking a bum rap on that. Yeah, absolutely. I think... I think the the sort of the crux of the, the beginning of this issue, I think, goes back to when presidents had to make the case for increased state support for their institutions. And they would go back and they would say, look, you know, look how much you you make when you get a college education. Look at all these programs we're developing to address economic development and jobs in the future. And so college education became getting a job, you know, it became almost vocational education. Whereas, you know, in the old days when you and I were there, you know, sure, we were looking at what we could do with our education, but we were also really looking at how education opened our minds to so much more than a job. You know, it opened our minds to great works of literature and history and new ideas and debate and discussion and personal growth, those are things that come from a college education. You know, that's not to say that the trades don't don't do important things. My father was a blue collar worker. He was a, a millwright. He had a trade, you know, um, school education. And that put my way through the University of Toledo. But, but um, you know, we do need more people in the trades. But we also need to think about college as more than you're going to go there and you're going to get this education and that's going to get you a job when you walk out the door. It shouldn't be a certification. It should be a diploma. It should be a signification that you are a scholar, educated, and well-rounded individual. And gee, I hope we can get back to an understanding of that's what a college education is about. I want to thank my guest, Barbara Floyd. Her new book is titled, An Institution for the Promoting of Knowledge, the University of Toledo at 150. That's our program for this week. I invite your email through my webpage, londonmitchell.news. And please accept this invitation to join us next week, Staying in Contact.